It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here, coming back for the third episode, I believe. It's a uh, Dorian Bowen. Hello. Hello. Uh, I was told for a piano in the house, don't get a film critic. I, I guess or a theater theater critic in this case, but uh, you're you're not quite a critic. You're a preservationist, so we're safe. Yeah, we're safe. I like I like to think of myself as a historian more than a critic. So it's more about history and less about is this good, is this bad? Because, you know, people have their own opinions that are valid. So do you have a piano in your house? I don't. I've never had a piano. I don't know how to play. If I see one, I sit down and pretend like I can play and kind of poke around. But I that is not my musical talent. No. My mom has like a um in my parents' house, she has like a 80s Yamaha digital piano with like no no sensitivity so yeah <laughs> I tried to buy her new one once. oh sorry go ahead I said I tried to buy her new once but she she likes that one so okay sure <laughs> I was gonna say I've seen a player piano before and that's pretty neat like the, I mean obviously it didn't have the same effect as the one in this show but um it, it is kind of a, a spooky neat thing to see it doing its thing and the rolls and the yeah, of course I love old things, so that's part of it. But it's it's yeah. That would be a fun thing to have in the house if you were gonna have something. I would go for the player piano despite having seen this episode. <laughs> I um I know in Atlanta's not your hometown, but I don't know if you've ever been to the, the strange antiques museum in Stonington. Uh in no. they, it was it was this kind of warehouse space and they had a bunch of um you know, old flip movie things, right? Like like old timey stuff. They had some player pianos. Uh, they had some self playing organs. Uh, what are those called? Uh, there's a really good melodiums or whatever they're called. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's still there and running because obviously those machines would have been had to have been somewhat difficult to upkeep, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, that, I always like going there when I was a kid and yeah, seeing the old timey movies. I guess that's where I would see like some of the silent comedies and stuff. Actually, doing it the proper way. Uh, Nickelodeons. <laughs> there we go. That's one of the words I was looking for. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking of the flip books because there are flip books that are, you know, when you say flip movie, I oh, think no, the no. ones that are like cartoon animated, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's why I had to like kind of sub in the word Nickelodeon because these are the uh kind of ornate metal machines that you look in and so, turn did it have like a crank? Right, you had to crank it. So yeah. Excellent. Um I, I just yeah, I was thinking player piano, so I, my film vocabulary wasn't coming out quite right <laughs> uh let me do some trivia on this one the original air date was february 16th 1962 i think i wrote it at 63 but i believe it's actually 62 oops this is earl hamner jr's second script for the zone he'd already turned in the hunt and will be getting more of his work later David Green directed. He's got a feature film hit with his work on Godspell, but he really 
hit with TV movies and miniseries with directing credits on Rich Man, Poor Man and Roots just to cite the jobs that won him Emmys. So I'm having like a thing where I didn't like edit this very well late last night and my allergies are kicking in. So <laughs> it's kind of a double whammy. <laughs> Barry Morris played <laughs> Barry Morris played Fitzgerald Fortune. He had his own Barry Morris show in Canada for a bit. And you would have found him on The Fugitive. For this trivia-making sci-fi geek, though, he is immortal for his role as Victor Bergman on Space 1999. Esther Fitzgerald was played by Joan Hackett. She played lead against Charlton Heston and Will Penny and received a supporting Oscar nom for Only When I Laugh. She played many recurring roles on TV, but I'll choose the love boat if I need to cite something. Don Durant was Greg Walker. I guess he pulled himself up by his bootstraps as he helped to build the first kinescopic recorder and stereophonic sound recorder for Warner Brothers. This shifted into TV recurring roles, and he became the lead on one of Aaron Spelling's first TV shows, Johnny Ringo. Muriel Landers played Marge Moore. She was a large lady and found her groove doing comedy, appearing as a regular on the Frank Sinatra show, The Jack Benny Program, and later Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Cyril Delavanti was Martin the butler. We've already seen him in A Penny for Your Thoughts and The Silence. He will return to the Twilight Zone one more time. Yeah, I didn't realize. Most, how she... oh, go go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Uh, time zones. Um, Cyril is the one I know the most, actually, because I recognize him from Night of the Iguana, which is where he got his Golden Globe Award. And uh, I don't know much about Barry Morris. It, when I looked at his credits, it looks like the first decade he did films. And then after that, he was like a, a television mainstay. So I just must have missed him along the way. What's as as yet unreleased, but actually over at our, our podcasting empire, we have been slowly recording uh, a Space 1999 commentary episode. So I've been seeing a lot of Barry Morris recently. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, whoa, crazy. He's here and he doesn't look quite as old. I mean, yeah. He looks, looks he's actually I did the math when they talked about her 26th birthday and how there was a gap between them and he was approximately 43 doing this and Joan was about 27 so that's about a 16 year gap so they they cast appropriately to have you know a May December situation yeah well I'm just used to seeing him like 10 years older right although mm -hmm. he's only in the first season it looks like they didn't even bother to put him on the I'm, I'm sitting here with the DVDs and it doesn't even look like they bothered putting him on the uh, art work because he's when was that released guy. when was 1999 released the, the actual show or the dvd set well the show uh the show aired it, it's weird that it was I filmed in 1973 i mean the first season started filming in 73 but it didn't come out until 75 so there was like a really long production schedule which makes it slightly confusing so okay. <laughs> but um, basically 25 years projecting into the future that's right. Yes, which is now the past, which makes the show even which weirder. Which is now twenty five years in the past, pretty much. Which is yeah. All right. No, as I was about to say originally, I didn't realize how shocked my voice was until I started reading the trivia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have just given you the prologue. If you'd have a read of that, please. Sure, Mister Fitzgerald Fortune, theater critic and cynic at large, on his way to a birthday party. If he knew what was in store for him, he probably wouldn't go because before the evening is over, that cranky old piano is going to play those piano roll blues with some effects that could only happen in the Twilight Zone. All right. 
take that down. Um, why does anyone go to want to go to this guy's party in the first place? That is a really good question. I mean, I think it was for her more than him because he says at one point, these are mainly your friends, so let me torment them. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's why. But yeah, I, whoever wrote this, well, you mentioned, but I've forgotten the name, obviously did hate theater critics. I think that's the most biting commentary of this whole whole story <laughs> well, yeah because a lot of the the folks writing for a show would have been doing you know probably some off-broadway and you know plays and sort of stuff so uh, they would have eaten it a few times for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel like this is one of the more predictable and simple episodes of the twilight zone that i've seen thus far though i think that every character telegraphs what their alternate personality is so it almost is like the setup and the the follow through for every single one. I mean, before you even see Sterling, you know, this guy's such a patronizing jerk that he's going to get a comeuppance of some sort, right? Yeah, I know when Greg shows up, I put in my, my notes, um, some something flipping about that. If I can find it. <laughs> uh, the Bachelor, one. Greg the Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, just like how much they're like just building up from the second he walks in the door, how it's going to play out, you know? Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. So I enjoyed it and I like the concept, but um, but it wasn't hard to predict what was going to happen from every time you saw a character. It's like, oh, well, OK, I know that whatever the opposite of what they are now is what we're about to see. Well, at least they didn't go too far through people. I guess they all told that was like six characters. Right. It was the 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 antique store owner and the couple and the bachelor and Marge and the butler are all the people we saw different versions of. Yeah. Of the, of the um, folks I was triving, Um, I think I left out the shopkeeper cause it honestly just cause it's getting late at night and his wiki didn't look that interesting on first glance, but uh, um, yeah. And, and I was like, man, my trivia is looking long at that point. So I didn't get to him anyway, but yeah, yeah. that I, That's pretty much all the people in this. It's a 25 minute episode. You can only, do a weird hypnotic regression on, you know, three or four people. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought you wrote in your notes that you thought Marge was like a, a regression and it seemed like it at first, like she was going back to childhood and that would have been interesting if there were some alternate stories there. But in the end, it was just about the antithesis of what they showed to people was, was who they were on the inside. So it yeah, was simpler but, it looked, but I guess but, by that yeah, time he's, done it a few times so maybe you just see him getting a little bit of skill at manipulating people at, at this sort of thing by the time he gets to her because uh that's true know, the first couple of people it's like what's going on and he, he does work it out pretty quickly so faster than he does. Usually there, do it. the list on imdb does have the specific titles of the music so there's a little bit of thought and detail put into you know like when it comes to his it's lullaby and he becomes very childlike so the, the actual musical pieces that are selected also forecast like how a person his personality is going to be and i thought that was strange that he allowed his wife to do the last role like i guess it didn't occur to him at any point that him picking the roles was part of the power that he had so that when eventually esther chose the role because at her at his command somehow he thought that you know he was going to expose someone other than himself even though the control had been passed over to her how did she know what to switch it to anyway? That thing's only been in the house for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, she. we never saw her learn how to do it. I guess he'd done it enough times by then that she was watching. But And I don't know how many roles there were either. That That's kind of unclear. Like, he kind of gathers some at one point, but it's not, you know, it's true. It's, it's, a, it's a detail that's overlooked a bit. 
maybe we missed a few hours where he was practicing and like bringing in the mailman and stuff, you know, and having the mailman tell uh, his his deepest darkest uh, <laughs> secrets to him. <laughs> it happened in a. It's just a two scene thing, right? I mean, it's it's the party is the second scene. The first scene is the antique store. So, so and you made a joke about it, you know, the delivery getting there. Spot on. I mean, what a fast delivery person for this giant piano that suddenly by the evening it had arrived already. That is service. That's service you don't, at least maybe in the States, you don't get. Actually, in Japan, you probably would get that service still. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the piano itself, I really liked. It was so weird. I mean, I like, you know, like I've seen a lot of the old timey ones at, at the museum I was mentioning before, but this had mildly, you know, demonic looking stuff on it which i thought was pretty fun <laughs> yeah imdb says that the face on it is a tiki it's a new zealand i think you say this maori m-a-o-r-i yeah that's tiki. right yeah so that that was a nice touch that's us that's the spooky like masthead of the of the player where it where it parks underneath and reveals the roles okay yeah i was about to say tiki but i was like that can't be the right word can it but okay it is the right yes. word <laughs> So, uh, yeah, yeah, that works. Oh, I had a point I was going to make. It just escaped my head. Too bad. <laughs> I, well, I'm thinking about that shop now and all the creepy things, like that puppet thing that was, like, hanging from the noose. Like, like what is that? And that guy just, he took a mask and he went to put it somewhere else. He never was actually doing anything. He just sort of was, lit. It was like, busy work. And there's just so many creepy things in there. Treasures Unlimited, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, the... um. The store decor and the music combination, you might have seen, I wrote his age like a Les Baxter album, which I don't <laughs> necessarily mean that as a bad thing. Uh, but uh, sometimes, you know, like if you listen to old Exotica albums and suddenly it's like, dun, 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 and you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> is, is that really what you want to do? Um, oh, yes. Uh, the, the, the other thing with the um, Mori Tiki's, uh, the Tower of Terror, not the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. This is the one in Japan where, um, despite doing this podcast from Japan, the Twilight Zone is not that popular here. Um, so at Disney Sea, not Disneyland, Disney Sea, they have the Tower of Terror, a completely different story, but it involves a um, you know turn of the century industrialist who pilfers uh, relics from cultures. So as you're going through the queue of the ride, you see paintings of him, him and his Madden servant, like holding a tiki or something and running from the indigenous people that are chasing them. Um, all while the the people, the, the cast members, the people that were the ride are like talking about this man with deep burns. But the, the plot of the ride is that the um, 1900 year party, he had, he had a tiki that he had stolen from, uh, might've been like mirror. I don't remember, but uh, he ashes his cigar on it. So the, the tiki kills him. <laughs> That's the Actually, point of the ride. By, I mean, by, by dropping him down an elevator. So that's the whole thing. Now you get dropped by the, uh, down the elevator in the ride, hence the tower of terror. So yeah. well, it, that's very so, disrespectful. So I would expect a Tiki to retaliate immediately in such a way. Oh yeah. That's why it's the ride is like so entertaining. So uh, <laughs> the, the, again, the juxtaposition of the very serious, like historical preservation style cast members versus the uh, ridiculous paintings of him doing horrible things is, is great. And yeah, out in the garden, there's a bunch of, um, like really like baldy statues, like marble statues of uh, <laughs> half-dressed women and stuff. So yeah, yeah. It's, you know, if you pay attention, that's uh, to this line, you're like, oh yeah, th this guy's horrible. Again, he's kind, that's why I'm thinking about it with this episode. It seems kind of like the same kind of vibe. So mm -hmm. 
maybe if they didn't transmute the IP, they definitely got the flavor uh, pretty well there. <laughs> well, I was going to recommend a movie. If people like this episode, I'll go ahead and jump to my recommendation, which is there's a 1974 film called From Beyond the Grave, where Peter Cushing is an antique owner. And the film is four different stories. It's horror, supernatural you know, yarn. And so unlike the shopkeeper in this episode, who doesn't seem to know what he has, right? I mean, he's the first person we see affected by it. Um, and the and Fitzgerald's like, you're extraordinarily susceptible to the power of music, aren't you? You know, um, he doesn't seem to know. But in, in From Beyond the Grave, Peter Cushing is just cryptically watching these people just walk right into this. And they'll buy an artifact or an antique. And then, you know, something horrific and supernatural happens to them. And, you know, of course, there's no returns on your purchase. And so that's a really fun movie. So, if you know, people like this concept and want to see it really, you know, elaborated on with a shopkeeper or an antique store owner that really knows like what he has, then definitely Peter Cushing's your guy and from the behind the grave. A, a film comparison <laughs> that doesn't, well, yeah. Well, okay. But you're saying that's, that's better. So uh, this is the airborne for films and filth. We just did citizen Kane again, where, so it really stuck out how, you know, Kane's lady leaves him and he goes on like a, a really impressive <laughs> rampage. So this one, <laughs> I was just like, you know, uh, not the same thing. Esther leaves. I mean, knocking the knocking the uh, clock off the table. I'm like, okay, this, yeah. this is kind of a a low rent. Just rampage. a tray. I, just I mean, it's a small room, so you can't knock too many things off. There's no multiple mirror hallways that he can like pounce by. So yeah, you're right. It was it was lackluster, but you know, <laughs> I thought he was backing into the corner though. That was really like that felt good to see him like start to kind of you know melt and everyone's leaving and he's just backed himself into the corner with the piano i thought that was a nice yeah it's 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 more of a um production reality thing than than you know like because what orson wells had pretty much that they're shooting that that day and he can just go nuts and do it mm -hmm. here it's like okay we got five minutes film rampage finished <laughs> yeah and really one one and a half angles to shoot it at too so no impressive close-up and then, of course, the poor butler is the one who comes in at the end to find him, you know, sort of all crumpled up and and, and tell him that he's not funny anymore. And <laughs> so that's, you know, it makes a lot of sense that the wife would go ahead and leave with her whatever. A tryst, I think, is the word I saw. So, you know, but it, that's that's satisfying to see that she's maybe like free of this of this character and that he received the comeuppance that we knew he would from the moment he started talking. Oh, what's that line? Hold on. I wrote it down that his wife hasn't a trace of talent. So it's best that he get her a player piano because he didn't want to, her to waste all that time finding out later that she hadn't. So, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Really riles you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the more condescending uh, gifts you can give someone, especially uh, an expensive one. Well, I guess what's not that expensive because it's of an antique store. Like I said, there's a there's a used shop here near here where I could buy like an early '80s digital organ for three hundred bucks, which, yeah, wouldn't fit anywhere. You, that's why it's been in the store for ten years because you have to be <laughs> insane to buy it. It is a steal, but the thing's massive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't work so well. I, I guess the acting MVP here probably was Cyril. Uh, with his happy moment I just yeah I thought that worked really well uh, mm -hmm. which I don't know I guess it's from an acting thing is that is that really a cha 
challenge or was it just like viscerally fun? <laughs> I think it was viscerally fun. I mean, he has such a weathered face. And I mean, all he had to do was smile and it was shocking compared to his normal face, <laughs> his normal demeanor. Um, but it was it was effective. And it was good that that was an important thing for Esther to see. Like that was a good plot point to fit in before the guest arrived so that she was then in on the power of the piano as well. And so the two of them were fighting each other. He wants to use it. She doesn't want to because she knows. And so it adds to that discomfort that you see her have when he's tormenting the guests with things. And she's just sort of, it sort of sums up her marriage, it seems. She's just sitting uncomfortably there while he's doing things to insult other people. So that, that seemed true to character and, and true to form. I wonder if uh, you can play a player piano. Uh, the, the ones I saw at the museum, you know, they had plexiglass on the key, so you couldn't try it out, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, if you can do both, that, that's reasonable, I guess. That would be cool if there's a switch and you can just do manual or automatic. Well, there are definitely a few switches. I, they have tempo and volume were there, but I mean, if, if it's not running the role, if you can actually just sit there and play it, or I, I don't know. So, um, you know, these are well, technologies people have lost knowledge about. I mean, if you have a player piano and it breaks, who's going to fix it? Yeah, you, hopefully. Mm. Like yeah. you, the person who owns it, not you. Like, call call Matt up and have him come over and he'll know. He'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I, uh, two hours later, I'm sitting there in a pile of rusted 19th century gears. <laughs> it ain't a piano no more. Yeah. <laughs> But then you'd know, you'd know for sure. I did find um, the expre- the expression, everyone is a two-face. I, I guess probably because I'm tying Batman in there, which I don't know if in 1962 that was, it would be obvious to tie in Batman or not, but uh, yeah. I'm going to look that up because I feel like I should know that. I mean, like two-face Batman. was around. I'm just not sure if two-face was like culturally known, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. There's another cultural reference in the trivia that I want to bring up, which is when Marge arrives and talks about how she's been on more diets than our our Arcaro. I think that's how you say it. Arcaro has horses. Eddie Arcaro was a jockey, Hall of Fame jockey, um, and he won two triple crowns, which apparently no one has done that since. So uh, that's another cultural reference that's sort of embedded in the party right as she arrives. No, yeah. It, so, yeah, the people that used to be big in you know, sports and stuff. There was a tennis, uh, Japanese tennis pro who just did pulled off some kind of, you know, amazing accomplishment, right? Uh, in winning opens or whatever. Sorry, I'm not enough a sport guy to have like committed this memory, but uh, it was like, yeah, the last person to do this was uh, blah, 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 blah. And so I looked that up, right? Just out of curiosity. It's like from like 1934, where apparently this guy went out and like had some success in some opens and then the japanese um government like pressured him so hard to keep playing that he threw himself off a boat in the malacca strait so at like oh like gosh. a really young age i was like whoa okay because it was i just thought it was weird because i'm reading this newspaper article like, oh the last person to achieve this feat is blah 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 i'm like oh okay and i was just curious when that was and then i find this like totally like disturbing story i'm like whoa <laughs> is that's that so tragic yeah hmm. yeah Gosh. Um, ho- hopefully the, the current uh, tennis pro will not have those issues but yeah but yeah hopefully they're doing because they want to and not because they're bullied and pressured into remaining into it that's, that's awful i mean you know like when you see an international competition the north korean team is there everyone's just like huh, what's going on behind the scenes of that you know Which, uh... <laughs> that's, that's true you're very true 
they they lose and are never seen again or something you know <laughs> um do you have any other big observations you would like to toss out on the piano in the house no, no i'm going through my notes i i don't think so i think you mentioned in your notes that fitzgerald fortune is an absurd name and i will agree with you if they'd done one or the other like a fitzgerald something or somebody fortune but together that alliteration is a bit intense maybe that was his pen name and so we were getting to know him from his pretentious pen i think that's the other reason the um the tokyo tower of terror ride kept coming to mind because i think that guy's name is harrison hightower so kind of kind of the <laughs> Kind of the same sort of vibe. High tower. <laughs> I just got it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I almost feel like that's like the better version of this episode if you go ride that ride. So, but then you have to go to Japan and go to Disney Sea and probably stand in a very nice line for an hour. But um, yeah, that's that's extra credit. Once you see the episode, then you know. Let us know if you go see it. Yeah. 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 You should. It's the, it's the best park in the world. Um, <laughs> theme park, I mean. I mean, there's probably you know, nicer national parks if you want that sort of thing. Um, you get yeah, a volcano, though. So, let's do some questions. Who in this episode enters the Twilight Zone? Um, I think the easy answer is Fitzgerald. Because while everyone sort of gets a taste of it, he's the one who kind of falls backwards into it and is not expecting it to happen to him. So I think that that he's the one who it truly builds up to him experiencing it. Yeah, I guess he's the one that gets broken, right? Everyone else just has like a weird time and goes about their business. I mean, and, and leaves the party. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Mark well, also because sorry, I'm going to say just add that because no one else was covering it up as hard as he was also. I think. I mean, I think everybody felt like they'd been exposed, but not to the extent that he had built up his personas to be such a, a fortress around him. So that made it, you know, doubly disconcerting for him. I actually, I, I think I got this wrong. Um, just, I guess he was so broken, he still seemed a little childlike. But my first take was when he destroyed the role, like he had like sealed himself into that state. Oh, I like that. I didn't think about that. Which I actually think I misread that, um, but you know he isn't acting that much different with the but with Marvin the Butler at the end, right? So I was right. sitting there like thinking, oh, is he now trapped in this vulnerable state? Which was, oh, I, I think like a, that. I, I guess you could. I like that a lot. Right? That makes it that makes it like a better episode. I think we're good, we should go with that. That's fantastic. Uh, we'll go with that because no, at the end I actually went straight to the wiki and looked at their plot summary to see if I had read that correctly. And according to the the wiki plot summary, no, it just says he was regretful about what happened and when he's talking to the butler. But uh, mm. but also the butler is like, um, I, I'm not laughing at you anymore, right? Maybe mm. that could inform the fact that he is in fact now trapped in this in this state, which is. You know, I mean, as as much of a horrible person as he is, you you don't want. I mean, you you would feel like almost bad for him being trapped in that state, right? <laughs> I mean, not not in twenty four minutes. I don't. I feel like he can work his way back up to humanity from there. But um, but yeah, I like that alternate interpretation a lot. Also, Twilight Zone season three has a lot of uh, mentally smashed dudes that apparently are just going to wander around in a in a hallucinatory days for the rest of their life so this, is, this would if you want to count him i think that's person number four this season <laughs> um yeah, but yeah i am like i mean obviously marge was quite exposed but it's it's 
somewhat feasible, she'll pretty much have forgotten about this a month later, you know, whereas uh, that's not the case for Fitzgerald Fortune. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what she had to expose was like, sort of, what was it? It was loneliness. It was, you know, she wanted to be beautiful. She wanted to be a snowflake. She wanted to be thin. Like those are all pretty, you know, understandable things. And people did laugh at her when she was dancing. I also didn't understand that. There was nothing wrong with her dancing. I think it was just a, a heavy set like joke and doesn't play well these days. But, um, but yeah, I think that she would recuperate uh, faster than faster than the other and actually the guy what was the guy's name the one who was having the tryst with the wife like greg he, uh, that was more of a secret that wasn't so much like a special identity i mean it was like the hardened bachelor on the outside but in love with the wife on the inside but i mean that was one secret that was exposed which wasn't quite the same as marge having like just air most vulnerability exposed. and the same with the wife it wasn't like that she it, it wasn't that we we're really surprised that she really was mad at her husband and frustrated with him and, and felt taken for granted. It was that she verbalized it. So again, that's not something that she necessarily will regret later. It's, you know, uh, yeah, everybody, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, everybody does have a little nuance to the thing that gets exposed. So maybe I was overly harsh in the beginning by saying it was predictable because once you kind of delve into it and think about their experience after it happens, then I guess there could be a little bit of, of, a fluctuation in, in how people handle the experience that they had. Yeah. I, I'm going back to the dancing. I am kind of wondering if that is uh, some where, the, where this is, this episode has become very dated in a way. Cause like uh, watching the episode, I was like, Oh, she, she'll impress people. She's moving reasonably gracefully. Me not really knowing what is good or bad dancing. So when the result yeah. was like, ha ha ha, the fat lady's dancing. I was like, Oh, but yeah. she seemed to she actually seemed to know how to move properly. So what's the yeah, problem? Yeah, she was actually very graceful. I think that's a very dated thing about how if you are a certain size, then you're not allowed to be graceful. And that that does not play anymore. That's that was never accurate. <laughs> so that said, it did cross my mind. I didn't write in my notes, but now I'm about to say it out loud, which is worse, I guess. When she did show up, I was like, oh, I guess this episode is going to end with her singing, which is not how it ended. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, but yeah, no, I, almost... <laughs> I cringed when she got there because I knew that her weight was going to be a plot point because she's the only heavy set person there. So that's that was why I kind of winced at, at her arrival. But she was she was a nice lady and <laughs> she was one of the nicer people there. So. Well, Fitzgerald's oh. the only person that really seemed to suck. <laughs> I mean, people may have had their indiscretions or things, but they weren't like uh, psychically attacking, not not psychically, mentally attacking other people, you know, and picking. Yeah, them he apart. said he's as he was sort of spiraling out. He said that he was afraid of the dark. He was a poor, frightened kid. He was afraid of people. He liked to hurt them, uh, and that he envies everyone. Um, so. That's that was his version of honesty was admitting that he envied everyone. And out of that envy came his spite. So. I don't even know if there's any, you know, the does he deserve it question. I, I think this one is a telegraphed. Yes. Uh, unless you want to disagree. So <laughs> let's actually ask if Esther, Greg and Marge and, and Marvin deserve to be involuntarily, um, you know, revealed. Mm hmm. I think I think it's good for Esther to be revealed because I think part of her um, 
her suppressing how she felt was was a disconnect within herself. And so it was important for her mental health and her future well-being to connect with that anger that she'd been suppressing. So I think it's good for Esther. For Marge, it's an embarrassment. You know, I, I don't think she's going to become less of a sensitive person. I think it'll be a, an, an episode that she looks upon unpleasantly. Um, and the the butler, he is kind of hard to read. It's hard to know if Cyril it, like enjoyed that or he wants to forget it. You know, I don't know. What do you think about the others? The guy, the tryst guy, and the and the butler. I'm not. I can't read them as well. Well, um, the butler. I mean, he's kind of like kind of gives uh, Fitzgerald a little kick in the butt at the end, right? Again, with the, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not laughing at you anymore sort of thing. So <laughs> he, he's the one that does tell him, yeah, you have uh, really, you've really done it this time. You know, that sort of thing. So <laughs> fine mess he's gotten yourself into. Um, that sort of thing. And it sort of begs the question, why does he work for him? Because, you know, he does put up really with a well. lot. Because you think that's it? Maybe. In the Twilight Zone, Critic is one of the highest paying jobs. We've seen this in a few episodes now. <laughs> is that true? Okay, well, hmm. I would think that someone who's so good at their job would have other alternatives. But, you know, it looks like he he manages it pretty well. I don't think he was lying when he was happy and he was saying that, you know, really telling Fitzgerald how he would brush off the criticism he received. So I mean, he's just really got it together and he, he can separate his work life and his personal life. And he he remains stoic. I don't know. Maybe he's just really good at that. Fitzgerald, fortunately, at least gives some good bonuses, maybe. I don't know. Um, no, the other one is uh, last season. Um, I want to say a th the machine one. The thing about machines? I don't remember. Anyway, it's it early season two where um, it's got uh, another theater critic who, who lives in a mansion for some reason. So. <laughs> oh. This one at least seems like a penthouse or something, right? Like a like a Manhattan penthouse. So uh, in, in this episode, right? So still though, things I, have I, changed. <laughs> yeah, or, most, or theater critics always made more money than film critics have. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Or or, or newspapers were just a much bigger deal at the time, you know. Or and magazines. I mean, maybe they do have star critics, but I still have like kind of trouble accepting they be living in places like this but whatever <laughs> we can we can make that little disconnect um and then greg i guess greg would be the most embarrassed because he he was he was screwing around with uh behind the back of a guy who deserved it but you know still mm -hmm. being still an indiscretion so <laughs> and i assume that was during the marriage they said that or, or she said that it had been six years so i guess the implication is that that had occurred within those six past years not something that happened before the marriage but something that was more recent that's yeah because at first that's what i thought but then i was like wait a minute she would have been like nine like 1920 which i guess yeah okay the, yeah at first i thought that maybe they were dating pre beforehand but then i mm -hmm. yeah i got the uh, impression it was an affair within as the dialogue went yeah but, i guess the math kind of works out on that she really is surrounded by a lot of significantly older men so i guess that, <laughs> that's how that plays out okay uh where would you like to place this one on the trip o meter mm. 
Are we going with the ending that you created where he's actually trapped there? Because that significantly amps it up for me. If it's just an experience they all have and then the piano goes back or whatever, you know, or like what does happen to the piano? Does he keep it? Do they do they burn all the rolls? Like, you know, it's kind of a powerful supernatural entity that now is in that house. So I wonder what the future of that isn't anyone like afraid of it like <laughs> do you go out buy new roles and see who else you can mess with like <laughs> what happens to the piano did he learn anything i mean maybe he gets over it in a few days uh, uh, but that's with the 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 not my ending and my ending he is broken and wouldn't be able to do that but <laughs> so on a, it was a, it's a scale of one to ten right where ten is the most trippy and one is the least I usually make five the most trippy. So oh five. Okay. Smaller scale. Okay. So you can, I would you say can have if, it both ways if you want. <laughs> well, I would say that if he's not trapped, it's like a one and a half to two. If he is trapped, I'll give it like a four because you know that that kind of unsuspecting, like captured in that state forever thing is is really amps it up a lot. So there that's my very detailed answer. I'm going to give it a very milk toast 2.5 and say one thing that would have really upped the score for me is if the uh, piano rolls had been like really like like weird creepy music or something like not just the old standards, you know, I would have uh. more exotica music or something. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad call because it's I, here. I guess for me, like some of the music, they're like, oh, this music causes this emotion. And I'm like, mm -hmm. not for me, it, it was kind of a disconnect. So if it was all just weird, you know, maybe that would uh, latch on a little bit. Because there was, I think it was, maybe it was Marge's music where I really didn't expect the reaction she gave, you know? I, I kind of expected something different. And I'd have to hear the music again to even tell you what kind of vibe I was getting. But um, the well, music I can read the you vibe... The, the, I think the, having read the list of the songs, so here's the list, which, you know, I think is pretty spot on. So the... The shopkeeper listens to I'm in the mood for love. Marvin hears smiles. Esther hears the saber dance, a musical number where ballet dancers dance with swords, right? That works. Greg hears these foolish things remind me of you. Uh, Marge listens to Claire de Lune and um, Jerry. Fitzgerald, right? Jerry is not the name I'm associating with him yet. So Fitzgerald hears lullaby. And that's call him Jerry. Oh, okay. For a while. I mean, See, I, I guess that's the thing. The names seem to correlate more with what happens in the music itself, right? And I guess being a you know very uh, a music dork guy, like I'm like, oh, that vibe doesn't hit for me. I mean, that happens in mm -hmm. scoring sometimes. Um, my my chief example for that is the James Bond film Goldeneye, where I feel like the score often doesn't match what's going on on screen like they hmm. have kind of like there's a um, kind of a romance like he's with the, the bond girl or whatever it's kind of playing this like active music and then later he's in a casino and it's playing a sweeping romantic theme i'm like what's going on other way <laughs> do it the other way what are you doing <laughs> so hmm. uh, you know i guess that's the thing with a real good film score people don't don't have that complaint right it works mm -hmm. it, it can work for everybody well almost everybody uh, and with a, with a really good score, you know, mm -hmm. um, we already mentioned Susan Cain. So there's one where like the, yeah, the music fits like a glove. I think, I don't think anyone's ever complained about the Nard Herman score for that, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, 
I didn't really like how they used their stock music in this episode, and I'm not 100% sure how they would have made that better. It might just mm -hmm. be like, it's, it's what we're hearing is like too cliched. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which, which I guess does. If you don't know what you're listening to, if you don't literally read those names, like it took, you know, that was, I was familiar with that music, but I didn't know the exact names. Of things. And then it did become a little bit more, but a little too on point for that to be triggering the things that we saw. Right. Right. So I guess that that was the one thing in this episode really like, kind of had me at a bit of dissonance that uh i just didn't feel the music worked for the purpose they were doing that you know mm -hmm. so um but it is this is the music that would be on player piano rolls maybe mm -hmm. i just wanted i wanted i wanted piano rolls that match the tiki on the front of the piano you know <laughs> but then everyone would have known to be afraid of it i think the unsuspecting nature of the music that seems so pleasant but it's triggering something in the individual that is unexpected i think that's think that was the intent but i understand where you're coming from with a more varied musical background so and also in real life mu music does trigger you like this sometimes you don't necessarily have this strong a reaction but it you know mm -hmm. can definitely change the flavor of uh, your mood and, and mm -hmm. thus how you are relating with people so this piano while supernatural is a real effect it's just amped up to uh you know twilight zone proportions Mm -hmm. And that's what the shopkeeper says when um, Fitzgerald says, like, you're extraordinarily susceptible to the power of music. And the shopkeeper's response is, isn't everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just not to that degree. I, right. Did the shopkeeper follow what was happening with that thing? I don't think so. I don't think he understood it. He seemed to snap back into it. And then he was grumpy again and sold the piano. And like, that's yeah, I, I think he didn't quite, which is spooky that's the spooky character to be so unaware that it took you over because everyone else seemed to know everyone else was like oh that was weird what was that moment about but the shopkeeper is the one you know as the very first example that we saw he just sort of goes back to normal and it's Fitzgerald observing it that you know we're there with Fitzgerald in observation not the self-awareness of that particular person maybe because he was doing business so he didn't notice like maybe you have to know what you're saying. Uh, the way you're saying it isn't you wouldn't notice, right? But you just real well, you just realized you said I hate you to your husband, right? So <laughs> you, mm -hmm. that you don't really understand that your demeanor also changed when you did it. Maybe that's how this thing worked. We're gonna you know kind of do this. Yeah, else. he did contradict himself because he was like, oh, well, that you know all these pleasantries, and then he's like, oh, I hate birthdays. They're a waste of time. So he contradicted himself so that we as the audience knew that something had shifted and that he was unaware of it. But, yeah. So, yeah. but it, but he was, you know, his goal was to sell the piano. But that's what he did. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess so. It didn't seem like he really wanted anybody in the shop, but you know, I guess. I guess there are some antique store owners like that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll wrap this one up. Um, is there any anywhere on the internet you want to send people? Not today. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Um, I'll, I'll do my rant, which is kind of okay. like a little player role in my head at this point, right? <laughs> so, because <laughs> it's time enough podcast on Twitter, I guess, and Facebook. <laughs> um, you support us on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius, where we do lots of podcasts like films and filth. We talk about really good movies. We really talk about we talk about really bad movies. 
Dorian was there for Vertigo, if you want to go hear that episode. Mm-hmm. Occult Disney, where he looked for the, the weird mysteries behind the mouse. And there are some game show ones, game show gaming podcasts that you usually won't hear me on. The first being the Game Game Show, where gamers game each other out games. Luke loves Pokemon and a Hyrule Field report about the Zelda games. Okay, I think I made it through. There was my, my player role went in a slightly different order than usual, though. Okay, there we that's, go. That's quite a list. You're very proficient. Yeah, well, I do it like three times a week now, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, as co-host Luke often says, you start to hate yourself because that happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess you don't have to do your own plugs, but just it's, it's like it's like the ritual. It's like the social ritual of of the end of your podcast, right? Yeah, and hey, maybe you want to go here. Maybe this is your first time here. Welcome. And then maybe you want to check one of those things out. I don't know. Or you could just hit the, you know, when I, that starts, you hit the plus 30 seconds button, right? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's possible too. That's when you start, you start interjecting it in different places. You don't just always do it at the end because then you'll have people tune out. So you need to like sneak attack them throughout the podcast at different times. And then, then, then you'll catch them and you'll get them. I feel like the most important thing about a piano in the house is time enough podcast you can find at uh, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in- interrupt yourself midstream to to plug various at various points in the podcast. I've tried yeah. that sometime. Okay. You'll never see it coming. It'll work. I promise. Well, I, I don't. I said don't have piano in my house, but I guess I'm going to go play the guitar in my house. Thank you.